0: Section thirty one of Henry the Fourth, King of France and Navarre, by John Stevens Cabot Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter eleven The Conversion of the King. Part three. Others still assert that Henry was humanely anxious to arrest the horrors of civil war, to introduce peace to distracted France, and to secure the Protestants from oppression. His acceptance of the Catholic faith was the only apparent way of accomplishing these results. Being a humane man, but not a man of established Christian principle, he deemed it his duty to pursue the course which would accomplish such results. The facts, so far as known, are before the reader, and each one can form his own judgment. The announcement throughout the kingdom that Henry had become a Catholic almost immediately put an end to the Civil War incited by the royal example many of the leading protestants nobles and gentlemen also renounced protestantism and conformed to the religion of the state the chiefs of the league many of whom were ambitious political partisans rather than zealous theologians and who were clamorous for catholicism only as a means of obtaining power at once relinquished all hope of victory For a time, however, they still assumed a hostile attitude and heaped unmeasured ridicule upon what they styled the feigned conversion of the king. They wished to compel the monarch to purchase their adhesion at as dear a price as possible. Many important cities surrendered to the royal cause under the stipulation that the preaching of the Protestants should be utterly prohibited in their precincts and suburbs. Even the Pope, Clement VIII, a weak and bigoted man for a time refused to ratify the act of the archbishop of bourges in absolving henry from the pains and penalties of excommunication he forbade the envoy of henry to approach the vatican the duke of nevers who was the appointed envoy notwithstanding this prohibition persisted in his endeavours to obtain an audience But the Pope was anxious to have the crown of France in the possession of one whose Catholic zeal could not be questioned. He would much have preferred to see the fanatic Duke of Mayenne upon the throne, or to have promoted the Spanish succession. He therefore treated the Duke of Nevers with great indignity, and finally gave him an abrupt dismission. But the mass of the French people, longing for repose, gladly accepted the conversion of the king one after another the leaders of the league gave in their adhesion to the royal cause the duke of mayenne however held out paris being still in his possession and several other important cities and fortresses being garrisoned by his troops the pope at length having vainly done everything in his power to rouse france and catholic europe to resist henry condescended to negotiate his spirit may be seen in the atrocious conditions which he proposed. As the price of his absolution, he required that Henry should abrogate every edict of toleration, that he should exclude Protestants from all public offices, and that he should exterminate them from the kingdom as soon as possible. To these demands Henry promptly replied, I should be justly accused of shamelessness and ingratitude, if, after having received such signal services from the Protestants, I should thus persecute them. Henry was fully aware of the influence of forms upon the imaginations of the people. He accordingly made preparations for his coronation. The event was celebrated with great pomp in the city of Chartres on the 27th of February, 1594. The leaguers were now disheartened every day their ranks were diminishing. The Duke of Mayenne, apprehensive that his own partisans might surrender Paris to the king, and that thus he might be taken prisoner, on the 6th of March, with his wife and children, left the city under the pretense of being called away by important business. Three hours after midnight, of the 21st of the month, the gates were secretly thrown open, and a body of the king's troops entered the metropolis they marched rapidly along the silent streets, hardly encountering the slightest opposition. Before the morning dawned, they had taken possession of the bridges, the squares, and the ramparts, and their cannon were planted so as to sweep all the important streets and avenues. The citizens aroused by the tramp of infantry and of cavalry and by the rumbling of the heavy artillery over the pavements rose from their beds and crowded their windows, and thronged the streets in the early dawn the king accompanied by the officers of his staff entered the capital he was dressed in the garb of a civilian and was entirely unarmed all were ready to receive him shouts of peace peace long live the king reverberated in tones of almost delirious joy through the thoroughfares of the metropolis henry thus advanced through the ranks of the rejoicing people to the great cathedral of notre dame where mass was performed he then proceeded to the royal palace of the louvre which his officers had already prepared for his reception all the bells of the city rung their merriest chimes bands of music pealed forth their most exultant strains and the air was rent with acclamations as the king after all these long and bloody wars Thus peacefully took possession of the capital of his kingdom. In this hour of triumph, Henry manifested the most noble clemency. He issued a decree declaring that no citizen who had been in rebellion against him should be molested. Even the Spanish troops who were in the city to fight against him were permitted to depart with their arms in their hands. As they defiled through the gate of Saint Denis, the king stood by a window and lifting his hat respectfully saluted the officers they immediately approached the magnanimous monarch and bending the knee thanked him freely for his great clemency the king courteously replied adieu gentlemen adieu commend me to your master and go in peace but do not come back again lanoux one of henry's chief supporters as he was entering the city had his baggage attached for an old debt Indignantly, he hastened to the king to complain of the outrage. The just monarch promptly but pleasantly replied, We must pay our debts, Lanoue, I pay mine. Then, drawing his faithful servant aside, he gave him his jewels to pledge for the deliverance of his baggage. The king was so impoverished that he had not money sufficient to pay the debt. These principles of justice and magnanimity which were instinctive with the king and which were daily manifested in multiplied ways, soon won to him nearly all hearts. All France had writhed in anguish through years of war and misery. Peace, the greatest of all earthly blessings, was now beginning to diffuse its joys. The happiness of the Parisians amounted almost to transport. It was difficult for the king to pass through the streets, the crowd so thronged him with their acclamations many other important towns soon surrendered but the haughty duke of mayenne refused to accept the proffered clemency and strengthened by the tremendous spiritual power of the head of the church still endeavoured to arouse the energies of papal fanaticism in flanders and in spain soon however the pope became convinced that all further resistance would be in vain it was but compromising his dignity to be vanquished and he accordingly decided to accept reconciliation. In yielding to this, the Pope stooped to the following silly farce, quite characteristic of those days of darkness and delusion. It was deemed necessary that the King should do penance for his sins before he could be received to the bosom of Holy Mother Church. It was proper that the severe mother should chastise her wayward child, whom the Lord loveth, he chastiseth it was the sixteenth of september fifteen ninety five the two ambassadors of henry the fourth kneeled upon the vestibule of one of the churches in rome as unworthy to enter in strains of affected penitence they chanted the miserere have mercy lord at the close of every verse they received in the name of their master the blows of a little switch on their shoulders the king having thus made expiation for his sins through the reception of this chastisement by proxy and having thus emphatically acknowledged the authority of the sacred mother received the absolution of the vicar of christ and was declared to be worthy of the loyalty of the faithful we have called this a farce and yet can it be justly called so The proud spirit of the king must indeed have been humiliated ere he could have consented to such a degradation. The spirit, ennobled, can bid defiance to any amount of corporeal pain. It is ignominy alone which can punish the soul. The Pope triumphed, the monarch was flogged. It is but just to remark that the friends of Henry deny that he was accessory to this act of humiliation the atrocious civil war thus virtually for a time terminated was caused by the leaguers who had bound themselves together in a secret society for the persecution of the protestants their demand was inexorable that the protestants throughout france should be proscribed and exterminated the protestants were compelled to unite in self-defence they only asked for liberty to worship god according to their understanding of the teachings of the bible Henry, to conciliate the Catholics, was now compelled to yield to many of their claims which were exceedingly intolerant. He did this very unwillingly, for it was his desire to do everything in his power to ameliorate the condition of his Protestant friends. But notwithstanding all the kind wishes of the king, the condition of the Protestants was still very deplorable. Public opinion was vehemently against them. The magistrates were everywhere their foes, and the courts of justice were closed against all their appeals. Petty persecution and tumultuary violence in a thousand forms annoyed them. During the year of Henry's coronation, a Protestant congregation in Chateneray was assailed by a Catholic mob instigated by the leaguers, and two hundred men, women, and children were massacred. A little boy... 8 years old in the simplicity of his heart offered 8 coppers which he had in his pocket to ransom his life but the merciless fanatics struck him down most of these outrages were committed with entire impunity the king had even felt himself forced to take the oath i will endeavor with all my power and good faith to drive from my jurisdiction and estates all the heretics denounced by the church the protestants finding themselves thus denounced as enemies and being cut off from all ordinary privileges and from all common justice decided for mutual protection vigorously to maintain their political organization the king though he feigned to be displeased still encouraged them to do so though the protestants were few in numbers they were powerful in intelligence rank and energy and in their emergencies the strong arm of England was ever generously extended for their aid. The king was glad to avail himself of their strength to moderate the intolerant demands of the leaguers. Many of the Protestants complained bitterly that the king had abandoned them. On the other hand, the haughty leaders of the League clamoured loudly that the king was not a true son of the Church, and in multiform conspiracies they sought his death by assassination. The Protestants held several large assemblies in which they discussed their affairs. They drew up an important document, an address to the king entitled Complaints of the Reformed Churches of France. Many pages were filled with a narrative of the intolerable grievances they endured. This paper contained, in conclusion, the following noble words and yet sire we have among us no jacobins or jesuits who wish for your life or leaguers who aspire to your crown we have never presented instead of petitions the points of our swords we are rewarded with considerations of state it is not yet time they say to grant us an edict and yet after thirty-five years of persecution ten years of banishment by the edicts of the league eight years of the king's reign four years of proscription we are still under the necessity of imploring from your majesty an edict which shall allow us to enjoy what is common to all your subjects the sole glory of god the liberty of our consciences the repose of the state the security of our property and our lives this is the summit of our wishes and the end of our requests End of section 31